Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie, your host. And if this is your first visit to the podcast, welcome. There's lots for you to have a listen to. So do make sure you visit thefertilitypodcast.com to have a look around. And as we're starting out, I just want to ask one thing. If you can get yourself to iTunes and rate and review this podcast, it means that more people get to hear about it. And it means I can carry on doing what I'm doing through 2018. So thank you. Now, my guest today is a lady who, like me, is a radio person, a radio broadcaster. She's actually a reporter and she works for the BBC and has decided to go public with her journey so far. And I was really wanting to have a chat with Sophie, who you'll hear next. She's still on her journey and is continuing to do an amazing job at really putting the spotlight on failed treatment And I was really wanting to have a chat with Sophie about her decision to go public with her story and her husband too. And you'll hear her explain the whole thought process and where they're at and what's going on. And I've focused on a couple of people recently who have been using the media to share their story. And as someone in radio and who podcasts talking about infertility, and I've been doing so for nearly four years now, I'm always interested in people that decide to use these platforms to really go public about where they're at, because it's a massive intrusion, really, into your private life. So have a listen to my chat with Sophie, who I will be speaking to more through the year because she's doing an amazing job. I'm now going to welcome Sophie Solaria to the podcast. Now, if you're in the UK, or even if you're not, you might well have heard about Sophie because she's been sharing her journey on BBC Radio. And I heard Sophie, well, stood in the kitchen with my other half. Uh, she had put out a piece about uh, part of her fertility journey. And I was instantly gripped, even though this is my world with the Fertility Podcast and wanted to get in touch. So here she is. Sophie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me, Natalie. Well, Lovely. It's, it's, well, it's it's been busy pinning you down because I know things have been pretty full on since that piece went out. Considering that a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are probably either going through treatment already, have had failed cycles, or are at some point where they know that this could be what's going to happen with them they're going to be aware of part of what you were going through. But what I really want to get from you in our chat is that decision to share what you did. And, you know, I do a podcast, I put it out there, but you put it out on on Radio 4 in the UK, which I'm sure everybody listening will will know it's a a massive radio station. Let's just start at the point where you decided, because obviously you work in the industry, you decided to to share this part of your journey. The idea behind... The sharing of the journey in the first instance was that Johnny and I had been trying for a, for a baby since we got married in 2012. So around 2013, we started to realise there was a problem and I was diagnosed with premature ovarian failure and stage four endometriosis. So quite a catalogue of problems if yeah. you want to have a baby. Yeah. So we were sort of catapulted into the IVF world and we had a number of rounds. We had six in the end, um, fairly, unsuc- I mean, very unsuccessfully, but I mean, by anyone's standards, they were unsuccessful, you know, just one egg or two eggs collected, one egg, that one egg didn't fertilize on round three. So, you know, we're talking about low, low, low chances here. During this process, I kind of thought to myself, you know, we need we need to think of a plan B. I mean, it, it wasn't easy. I was in quite a low state of mind at the time. And what about, sorry to butt in, the endometriosis? Were you, were you suffering quite a lot from it? 
Or have you had any surgery? Do you know, it's interesting. I hear now from other people that have had grade four, which is really, really bad endometriosis, and their pain and their tummy. And I did have tummy pain, I did, but not to the degree that I think other people have had and do have. And for that reason alone, I did go to the doctors. I went to the doctors numerous times to say, you know, this isn't right or something's wrong. But I think because I wasn't on the floor in pain every single month, I think that they didn't expect it was gynecological. And so I was diagnosed with IBS and potential Crohn's. And at one point I went to CBT because they thought it was, must be in the mind. And um, it, 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 in the end, in the end, we, when we were looking into why we couldn't conceive, um, we ended up paying privately to get diagnosis and they took one look on a scan and said you've got cysts running everywhere we need to operate so I ended up having two laparoscopies and it was after the first that they said you're going to struggle to conceive naturally by the second we knew that we would have to do IVF if we wanted to have children so it was just after that second lap that we entered into the first round of IVF and it yeah and as you know and as any most people listening would will realize it you know, it's just a complete roller coaster of emotions, isn't it? And it was when we were coming out the other end and after round six, did we think, well, we really need to think of other options here. And as I say, that wasn't an easy decision to make because of the well, the fact you want your own baby, don't you? You and want your own biological six, child. At round six, how, how many years are we talking? How, how quickly in succession did you go through the treatments? Four years. So I know a lot of people will, will have done a lot more years than that. But because of my premature ovarian failure, so I had very few eggs anyway, we'd kind of given ourselves a limit that when I got to the age of 35 that we would have to start thinking about another option and basically we said if if it hasn't worked by 35 then there's no point because as we all know 35 is kind of a cutoff for women and their egg supply in terms of your your eggs do drastically decrease and when you have so few in the first place I think for us we needed a you know a goalpost to say if it's not worked by then we probably can't keep throwing money bad money after good into the IVF cycles because every single round just got worse and worse and and that's where we got to by round six it was two weeks before my oh 35 my birthday so you weren't happy about that birthday coming I wasn't it was a really weird birthday in the end because I sort of knew that it was over and I had a a party planned and we cancelled it and we just spent the day together wandering around Windsor and I think is I thought I'd be more depressed than I was actually but kind of just think spending time with my husband and we'd we'd also found out that the last IVF round didn't work the day that we were due to fly on holiday and so we kind of did the test and then drove off to Gatwick and I we had did a lot of grieving on that holiday but I think we also spent a, a lot of time on our own just thinking and remembering our own relationship again because I think that's the issue with IVF you kind of get caught up in this whirlwind and you forget sometimes the reason you're doing it and the reason that we want a family is because we're in love and we want to have a family with each other and that holiday was a real sort of turning point for us I think we really spent a lot of time just looking after ourselves for two weeks and reconnecting and enjoying life again so the week after that when my birthday arrived I sort of was in the mindset anyway that I was going to spend it with Johnny and we were going to have a nice day. I mean just what you were saying about that time reconnecting I've I've chatted with a a number of of women and couples because I always like to get the male perspective as well and it's so overlooked you know the importance of your relationship because like you just described you get so consumed in what's going on so thank god you had a holiday booked at that point. Well yeah I mean it's it was ironic really because our friend was getting married in Spain and I was in two minds about the wedding because of course weddings bring hope you sort of see into a 
couple's future and you think, oh, they're going to get married and have children and live happily ever after. And I think your listeners will understand that, you know, those kind of events, Christmas, Mother's Day, these kind of events really sort of are difficult for people that are trying for a family and haven't made it yet. So I was in two minds about the wedding, but it was the best thing that could have happened for us because we put our feelings aside for the day we saw our friends getting married and we thought you know what fantastic they've got all the hope and 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 their future ahead of them and whether it's good or bad they've got each other and it kind of rekindled you know something in us and we thought you know we we absolutely adore each other and had the most wonderful life before this all started and I think we need to remember that you know and um, and it's just, it's just, it's a journey, isn't it? It's such a cliche word. I hate that word, but it is a journey. I think that when you're sort of starting out in your relationship and you talk about the future and you say, yeah, we're going to have three children. It's going to be, one will be born first. It'll be a girl first then a boy, you know, you, you've got all these hopes and dreams. And I think that the fertility journey or the infertility journey sort of wipes each dream away and all of a sudden you're just grateful if you just have the one child and you don't care what sex it is or what time of year they're they're born and and it doesn't matter anymore does it you're just desperate for that one thing and and when it gets to a point like with us that it looks basically impossible to have a baby full stop you then think to yourself right we have to try and envisage a completely different future you know whether it be that we have to have a donor a third person in our relationship is how I see it or adopt or it's very very different to what you've imagined when you first met that person eight years ago well also all the things that you've just described are all potentially kind of bereavements in that if you're not able to have the child in the manner that you'd hoped that's something to have to go through that process of they're all different steps of this journey that we've just talked about that you then have to work out how you cope with absolutely and it's a set of skills that you don't realize that you'll need when you first start you know I think that that something like illness and and death is inevitable in, in in relationships and life and I think you kind of prepare yourself in a way for those kind of events although it they are still heartbreaking and awful but I don't think that people start their relationship by thinking you know, we'll get married and then we might find it difficult to start a family. Mm. I think I think you kind of just live in hope that that is what you'll have if you want children, that it's the most natural thing in the world you should be able to. Yeah. And so you have to almost acquire this new set of skills on how to deal with this kind of thing. And I've spoken quite publicly about the, the mental health side of this whole journey because year three, we like to call it like the third year, was just the worst possible year for both of us you know we were both extremely low it was becoming more and more difficult each round was getting worse and worse and it was getting to the point that I didn't want to leave the house I didn't want to bump into a pregnant person every time somebody told me somebody I knew um, told me they were pregnant I'd just enter a dark hole for about two weeks and not want to leave and and it was absolutely awful and I thought to myself you know even then I thought this we have to find a way out of this this cannot continue on forever and you just I guess you just learn the skills that you need to move on because otherwise you're just going to be so unhappy were you both getting any counseling at that point or did you read yes yeah Yeah, we we did and I think that's the most important thing for anybody going through this is that you find a good counsellor and the one at our clinic was absolutely brilliant um she she saw us as a couple she spoke to me separately um and yeah, we had to talk for a lot of stuff. At the end of the day, the bottom line is, is a death. It is a bereavement. It's the death of a dream. And 
Um, and the reason, coming back to the series, I think it's the first question you asked me that that um, I haven't even answered yet, is the reason we started the series and the reason that we even considered making it is because we felt like everywhere we turn, you'd see the sort of end points in people's lives. We knew a lot of people that had either had IVF and it had been successful for, or they'd had IVF, it hadn't worked, and therefore they'd moved on and adopted or um, got a donor involved. And we'd not we didn't know anyone and we hadn't really heard uh, out there in the media of anybody that was going through it at the time. And I thought, well, if we're going through it and we're feeling like this, you know, and I've got this skill in radio, maybe I should be using it for some good and actually documenting the process. And, you know, to this day now, we still don't know what the outcome will be of this. We still have no idea which way we'll turn. But the great thing about Radio 4 is that they've given us this space to be able to explore it. And everyone listening that are dealing with this will explore it with us, you know. Well, this podcast is going out in January 2018. So you're still on this journey. And I'm going to put all the links to what you've put out there so far in the show notes, because... um, I really say to anybody listening now to listen to what Sophie shared so far because there's the chat that my husband and I had, which was your first piece talking about round six. Yeah, and I think it was fairly revolutionary in the way that we documented the round with with a microphone, essentially, and we did that round recording it and I edited it. How much thought did you give to it? Not not that you didn't think about it. Were you in radio mode? Because I, you know, as a radio person, I know that you can just turn up to something and go. And it sounded, to be honest, as if that's what you did. It's so funny you ask that because I've had this conversation with my doctor and he was just mesmerised that I kind of kicked into radio mode. I'll, I'll never forget, he said, you know, if somebody was dying in the street, I would instantly go over and operate with whatever utensils I had. And that would just be me in mode, in work mode. But he said, I won't speak in front of any microphone without six different <laughs> checks going on, you know, emotional checks and morality checks. And and it's true, I went into my, that mode. So going back slightly, I spoke to somebody at Radio 4's PM programme about this series. And I said, you know, the thing is, we've just got one more round to do and then I'll be thinking about the future. And she said, well, would you mind recording that round? And I said, yeah, no problem. And that was as much thought as I gave it. Wow. And I, you'll know, you know, a, an IVF round is emotionally draining and you are constantly second guessing and you overthink every scan and you can have more ups and downs in a day than some people have in a year. I didn't have any of that when I was recording the IVF round because I was in work mode. So every scan that they say, oh, you've got two, you've got five follicles growing, I think was is during round six, we had about five growing. And I didn't care about that side of it. All I cared about was that whether the scan doctor had said it clearly enough or not, basically. And, um, and then you kind of forget that the microphone's there after a while and you just do it. You get into the mode and you, and you record it. Johnny was far more considered. He thought it through a lot and decided that this was a good thing to do. After the round had ended and it was negative, I edited the piece in autopilot. And as I say, I was working as a reporter. And it was only when it was due to go out on the day, it was Monday the 23rd of October, and this piece was due to go out. But essentially this this month of IVF condensed into 10 minutes. And it was five o'clock and it was due to play about half past five. And I was shopping in London and I thought, oh my God, why am I not at home with Johnny ready to listen to this? And it hit me. 
And I thought, this is this is fairly big what's about to happen. You know, Radio 4's PM programme has six million listeners. You know, this this might have some kind of effect. And while it was going out, my phone started to beep. And I don't think it stopped beeping with Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and email and text and WhatsApp for about 24 hours. I don't think it stopped. And I was just catapulted into this world of essentially I felt naked. I felt exposed and I felt vulnerable. And I just realized that all of a sudden, you know, everyone that I know will know my business. All those people at work that I had been secretly slipping off to do injections, you know, around um, will know why I was slipping off or why I was in that bad mood or why I'd have to take some time off work. And I don't know, it felt really bizarre. And I don't think I actually became comfortable with it for about, I don't know, I'd say probably not until recently. So it took took a good month or two to like really realise what had happened. Let me tell you something in contrast to what you've just described. So I've been making this podcast for three and a half years. And for the first year of making it, I was anonymous Mm. because I wasn't sure how I could put out this content about such a personal thing and talk about the fact that I'd been through treatment, putting my name on it. And somebody said to me, a couple of people actually had emailed saying, you're talking about this taboo subject and you're being anonymous and it doesn't really sit well. And I was like, no, you're right. I need to own it. So I came out on this podcast and not at the speed in which you've said, but a similar thing happened to me after I thought about it for a year. So I can only, well, I can't even actually imagine because one thing that I was very aware of was that was what I would become known for amongst people that knew about it. And I'm interested as to how you feel about that with your friends and your family and your peers now. It's it's mixed. On one hand, I feel like we've done an excellent thing. Definitely. You know, that is my overriding yeah. emotion now that we're sort of out the out the difficult part, if, if you like. The emails from strangers, the tweets from strangers, just the people that have come across and said, thank you, you've really helped, or, or thank you, I had no idea this is what my sister's going through, or, you know, just, just the people that, I guess, are suffering in silence. I'm really glad that they have something to listen to and I'm here if they ever need to, to discuss it and they have at least got somebody um, to listen. Um, I think that it's still a little bit strange to think that everybody that you know will basically know this now. When you go to parties and things, you know, you almost, in my mind, I sort of think to myself, please don't ask me about the about the series I can't talk about it tonight you know and then other times I think oh you know I'm quite up for having a big discussion about this but it it, it, it varies doesn't it I mean we're still going through it as mm-hmm. I keep as I keep mentioning so imagine if you hadn't yet had your I think it's your son have yeah. you got a little boy yeah, yeah. imagine if that hadn't happened to you yet yeah. like you're, you're still in that place where you're thinking some days you have really low days that's the that's the fact like in fact, there's there's not a day goes by that we still worry about what will happen in our future. Just because it's out there and that everybody knows your business, it doesn't mean that the pain doesn't that just immediately dissipates. No, of course. So unfortunately, you still have those days, but only everyone knows why it's a very strange feeling. On the one hand, you'd hope that now those unsensitive questions might stop that if people do all know, then they'll be less inclined to ask when, when, when. So that's one of the the, the plus points. But I know because I've listened to the different chats that you guys have have done about the the benchmarks in the calendar that are all impactful. Um, Wedding anniversaries, I know you and Johnny were talking about them, the wedding anniversaries being marred by what you thought would be and what isn't. 
and 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 the fact that Johnny is is so involved in this and it's so evident the strength of your relationship I think is amazing because I've put a big emphasis on male infertility issues with my podcast and I know that he's done a brilliant piece chatting to a few guys which I will put the link on the show notes I think it's brilliant that there's the two of you because I hope as well that that makes other guys see him as another role model of somebody talking out about it and hopefully more men will will hear from you know from the reach of of the BBC that you know they aren't on their own because that's a really unspoken area still definitely and you know Johnny's Johnny's kind of embraced this and if you knew my husband you know he's a very behind the scenes kind of guy you know he's he doesn't seek any attention. He's quite happy with his own company. He works in the BBC, but behind the screen, you know, he's a he's a techie. The fact that he's done this, the fact that he has spoken out about this, I'm just so proud of him. Um, I could more than you know, you know. I mean, he he struggles to talk to close friends and family about what we're going through. So the fact that a couple of weeks ago he was sitting and talking about it in front of a camera with two other men it's just it's brilliant and and also he's got so much out of it as well you know he's joined a group on facebook that supports male infertility which is growing and growing and it's a really safe space where men can write down how they're feeling and they'll get a huge amount of support back which i think is excellent is that gareth's group yes it yeah, is I've it is gareth's gareth group i'll put the links to my chat with gareth on this on the show notes for this chat as well so people can go and find that brilliant he yes. absolutely he finds that group just incredibly helpful yes. um and also he made some really good friends when he was making that that piece for radio four he the two guys that he met that day they they carried on after the filming had stopped they went for a drink and they're still in touch and it's just wonderful that he's able to to have that support himself you know because again as you say it's so it's so common men just do not have the same level of support as, as women in this in this process and they don't even have the same amount of respect most of the time you know half the time the clinics are talking about their sperm to the to the woman they yeah. don't even acknowledge that they're in the room sometimes yeah so it's wonderful that the conversation has started and it's just brilliant i mean the video that that was posted on the bbc's news website page i mean you know it's had like million odd, million odd views which is brilliant it's obviously engaging with so many people well like you mentioned earlier even if it's not somebody directly if it's someone who's got a family member or a friend i think people's understanding is improving especially when especially in the uk we've had such negativity about funding cuts to to fertility treatment and i think there's such a lack of understanding as to the impact you've talked about you know your talking about mental health and I try to talk about it on this podcast and as people have said to me if my leg didn't work or if I had something wrong with my my arm I, it would be fixed on the NHS and it, if it's my ovaries that aren't working they're, they're as valid a body part to be to be fixed you know and well it yeah it's an ill it's a it's an illness isn't it I yeah. mean it, it, it's not a choice we don't choose for our ovaries not to work or our sperm to be low it's not a choice uh, I think it's really sad that the NHS doesn't see that at the moment I, these cuts are very upsetting I, <laughs> a lot of women and well a lot of couples take it very personally I think that mm. they're that they're at CCG has decided to cut all fertility and you know there are studies that that show the importance of of well there are studies that are showing that that infertility are and the effects of it mentally can be compared to people that are fighting life-limiting diseases you know this is this is the same kind of stuff as we spoke about earlier it's bereavement it's a bereavement of so on so many levels and I think as you say that there is so much support out there if people have life life-threatening illnesses 
and I think that fertility is sort of you do, I mean the, the the most common the most common comment is why don't you just adopt and as we always say adoption isn't off the cards for us but we're not in a place to be able to consider anything like that right now. I mean, once you finish IVF treatment, it's highly advised that you wait for six months before you even phone the council to talk about adoption or fostering because mm. they want to make sure that you're in the right stable space um, and, and, and in the right headspace to be able to take on another little one who will probably have an awful lot of their own issues attached as well. Um, so it's the case of us, people like us, having to move forwards and... Um, understand what they've been through and get to a place where they know what they want to do next and and it's not a case of just jumping in feet first to the next the next big idea is it you have to be careful with these things well I think as well when you've been so consumed with something like this for such a long time and it's become such a part of your world allowing yourself time to stop and think and I've talked about it in in, in numerous episodes it's really essential to give yourself that emotional space to help with your well-being. You've talked about it, how, the, how important it is in your relationship, but also for your, for your own self. And we're talking, as I said earlier, in January 2018. This is the 40th anniversary of IVF. It's a, it's a massive year and there's going to be lots more discussion about it. I mean, you've talked about not quite knowing the next step. And I don't want to ask you what the next step is because I'm sure you've been asked a lot. We don't know. Exactly. Well, I also hope that you're going to continue to share, you know, as as you make those decisions. But looking back over the last 40 years and what you now know about it, I mean, if, if you could give, because I'm trying to do a big push on fertility education this year with the podcast. And if you could give some advice in that educational sense to, to people listening or even to a younger you, you know, what, what would you say? Gosh, I have a lot of, I feel quite negative saying this. I have a lot of regret, actually, when it comes to my youth. Um, I didn't push hard enough for a lot of things. I think that if I was more aware of my own health, and I think if I was more aware of what uh, painful stomach pains during, you know, a female cycle time meant and what heavy periods, you know, it's not just something we should accept. I think I would have probably pushed for endometriosis, my endometriosis to be discovered an awful lot earlier. If I was aware of it in my twenties, mm. there's a huge amount more that could have been done now. And I sadly regret and I'm kicking myself that I didn't push and push and push and say and understand and learn and push and say, this isn't right. You know, I kind of accepted with every doctor's appointment that it was either in my head or it was just a, an emotional problem or whatever, it, you know, whatever else I was diagnosed with. And I think if I had known about the endometriosis and also the lower ovarian reserve, you know, I think it would be a wonderful thing if girls could get checked for that in their 20s. I mean, look. I don't want for every woman in their 20s now to be panicking about their future and about whether they can have children. And the last thing I would want is for a whole host of 20 year olds to start having kids when, you know, when when what when a wonderful part of our society is that women are now getting careers and are choosing to have their families later. But with that come the biological hideous biological clock. And of mm. course, you can then get to your 30s if you've left it that late and realize it is too late. And if we just had a little bit of understanding about our own bodies earlier on, we can make decisions and choices. You know, if I had been diagnosed with the endometriosis when I was 21, I could have taken the pill or something that would have lessened the periods or or even taken something that perhaps would have stopped them altogether. So the endometriosis wouldn't have built up. Maybe I would have chosen to freeze my egg if I'd known that I didn't have any. It's these kind of, it's awareness, isn't it? It's these kind of, um, well, it's this kind of education that, 
would have been beneficial for me. And unfortunately, it's made me regret an awful lot of my own decisions in my 20s. Well, it's the education and it's the empowerment. And actually, I put out an episode on Christmas Day, which is a home testing kit from an Austrian company enabling you to test your AMH levels, which is an indicator of your ovarian reserve, which is going to be hopefully available in the UK in March. So there are things coming. And the fact that you can do it at home and it's not ridiculously expensive, it's something that hopefully will become more on people's radar as something that you can start to have that knowledge and make the decisions that you've just described and so hopefully there will be less regrets and more proactive you know behaviors and and tests done and 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 decisions made ultimately yeah absolutely I think that test sounds wonderful you know and it's and it's advances like that that will change the future because um and and actually they've already got them for sperm testing anyway now yeah. in boots or or any pharmacy know that these that was your bbc are hat coming. there other pharmacies yes. are available i noticed <laughs> very good i felt instantly bad for, for admitting that i shopping boots when there were so many other pharmacies but yes you're right i think that these kind of things are brilliant and you're right empowerment exactly that it is empowerment and I don't want to be the woman that will forever look back like a Grinch and feel depressed and sad about the fact that I didn't do this and I didn't do that. But if I can help others, then brilliant. If I can help others with what we're going through. And now that I've the initial shock of the series going out and the exposure has now died down and lessened, I'm just really so pleased that we are doing this series on fertility because even people that have absolutely no idea and has never come into contact with anyone that have had the a hideous infertility journey um you know it's a lesson it's they can learn from it and I think that's great I think that the more we talk about it the more awareness we can bring to the world exactly (laughs) and as someone who spent nearly four years doing a similar thing talking in this world those emails of people saying that they felt less alone are absolutely priceless and so don't stop you know it's brilliant what you've done so far and as I say I'm going to put all the details of, of the series on the show notes this episode and I hope we can keep in touch and oh yeah talk later in the year and see you know what's happened next what you're doing and I hope you've had a good Christmas and you're starting 2018 you know on the on the on the right foot let's say absolutely I'm and I have to I say I'm really appreciative of your of your interest in this you know and, and everybody's interest and I'm so grateful for, for everybody that's listened and thank you so much for all your lovely comments and don't keep you know don't keep it in just keep sharing keep talking exactly no it's not your fault is the biggest thing it's nobody's fault exactly that thank so you lovely to chat and you and take care you too bye thank you. bye the fertility podcast is supported by ovusense if you're trying to monitor your cycle and finding it overwhelming ovusense is the only ovulation monitor on the market that is a class two medical device It has a vaginal sensor and app and fits like a tampon, so it's really easy to use and comfortable to wear. Now, you use it at night while you sleep, and then in the morning, you simply remove, wash it, and download your data to see your cycle pattern. Now, Ovusense has proven comfortable for women in over 10,000 cycles of use and can predict ovulation up to a day in advance and can confirm it with 99% accuracy. To find out more, visit ovisense.com. The Fertility Podcast is also supported by IVF Matters, the UK's first online fertility clinic where you can order tests delivered to your door, have scans at multiple locations and speak to consultants in the comfort of your own home. It's a truly unique way to experience your fertility journey and you can find out more at ivfmatters.co.uk or call 0333 93 
So do check out the show notes for my chat with Sophie. They are the fertilitypodcast.com forward slash Sophie because we referred to quite a few different episodes in our chat and I'm going to put all the different links in the show notes. And whilst you're there, there's a button for what is now known as Apple Podcasts, which means that you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes and rate and review it, which I'm asking about this at the moment because it will really help the podcast get more attention and enable me to carry on putting content out there because podcasts are getting more and more popular and so the podcast space is getting busier and busier which is brilliant and I love it but I also want to ensure that with your support if you find this podcast useful then you are enabling me to carry on making this content so just get yourself to iTunes it's Apple Podcasts and you can subscribe to this podcast and rate and review it which would be amazing plus on Christmas Day I launched my Facebook group which is called Talk Fertility which is a closed Facebook group where I'm encouraging you if you'd like to carry on the conversation talk about any issues then do get in touch I'm going to be bringing in different people that I've spoken to on my podcast with their expert opinion and just having more dialogue hopefully answer some of your questions so pop over to facebook you can follow me as well on instagram and twitter at fertility Poddy. and any feedback if you want to share your story be ace to hear from you my email is natalie at the fertility podcast.com until the next time <laughs>